Listener Production. Hi, I'm Veronica Milsom and this is Full Blown Adult. The podcast that helps you find credible information from qualified experts for when it's time to become an adult. If you aren't yet a full-blown adult and you'd like to be one, well, boy, howdy, you are in the right place. One test to know if you are is the ability to correctly answer this question, right? Can you put an egg in its shell in the microwave? I remember the day I learnt whether you could and it was at a radio station I worked at in the office kitchen after the video guy had blown up the microwave when he decided to cook a whole uncracked egg for a minute. He went from being a boy to a man in a matter of minutes. In fact, the whole office really grew up. We all learnt a simple lesson about domesticity, adulthood and... eggs. In this episode, you'll hear from an expert all about marriage. It's important to have honest conversations. What are we going to do? Are we going to have kids? Am I going to do all the working and are you going to do all the caregiving? These things are important. I've been married twice to the same guy. Only one time was legit. It was at the town hall in New York City. We took a number and waited in line in like a really dank room that resembled a Centrelink office. In fact, the whole experience reminded me a lot of Centrelink. Except, of course, I didn't need to collect any benefits because I was marrying my friend with benefits. Lucky this is a podcast for adults because that was a bit of steamy chat right there. Anyway, after I got married, I expected things to be different, but they really weren't. Like, no one cared. Not the bank, not births, deaths and marriages. No one. The only person who pretended to care was my mum, who told me she was angry and hurt that we didn't marry surrounded by family and friends in a proper ceremony in an overpriced, flouncy dress, which we ended up doing, by the way. We had a fake ceremony and reception. The only ones who didn't know about it were my grandparents. They sat in the front row, completely unaware that the woman facilitating the formalities was not someone qualified. It was just Kirsten, a friend of ours who happened to be a performer and was playing the role of a celebrant without any of the real power vested in her. In this episode, you'll find out what practically changes after you've got married and how to get divorced, if that's the next milestone you want to hit post-marriage. Here to fill you in is full-blown adult expert in the field, Luke Cudmore from Cudmore Legal. Hi, Luke. Veronica, how are you going? Pretty good. And I do, I want to start off by putting it out there, laying all my cards on the table that I am married, happily married, I should say. So this is more a fact-finding mission for me, future-proofing, I guess. Do I seem believable? (laughs) No, but I'll I'll play along with it. (laughs) Sure. Okay, well, let's like rewind way, way back to the very start of marriage when one is in love and they, you know, you do things that are crazy like tongue kissing and that sort of thing. When you sign a marriage certificate, is that all you need to do to like certify marriage from the very beginning? It's an interesting question. My father's a marriage celebrant, Greg Cudmore. You can look him up. There's a few requirements he could tell you. I think you need two witnesses. The parties need to have capacity and an understanding of what they're getting into, but it's as simple as conducting the ceremony. There's a a notice of intention to marry. You have to sign up to a month prior. 
But once that passes, if you're of sound mind and you've got a couple of witnesses, you can get your marriage solemnised. I thought you were going to say sodomized, and I was going no. to go, what? Well, That's different. I had difficulty pronouncing it, so I don't blame you for. <laughs> because sometimes in like Las Vegas or wherever, and actually maybe at like a town hall in Australia, you have to leave a certain amount of time after you first get married to check that you were of sound mind. Like I think it's 24 hours and then you come back and you're like, no, 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 I, was, <laughs> I definitely made the right decision. Look, I think the responsibility is on the celebrant to check that at the time, but I think once that ceremony's done and once it's signed, you are married and there's no no comebacks. That's so crazy that your dad marries people and then you divorce them. Have you ever shared the same clients? They flow through, so I wait as they walk out <laughs> yeah. of the church with a business card, yeah. repeat business. That's perfect. So what does it actually mean to get married? Because I remember that being the first thing that I was very confused about. I was like, who do I call? Do I need to call the bank, an insurance company? Like what's the actual process after you get married? Look, de facto provisions in the Family Law Act apply to you irrespective of if you're married or not. I'm not married, but the law applies to me as if I was in virtually the same way. The only real legal implication of of you being married is that to undo that, you'd need to get divorced. From a a family law perspective, the second you either cohabitate or you get married, the Family Law Act starts to apply to you and the longer you're in that union or relationship, the more serious that impact's going to have. It really doesn't feel like there's much point in getting married if it's all just exactly the same if you're de facto, except that it'll cost you. Well, if you want to have an expensive wedding. and Yeah, spe- but it'll cost you to get divorced if it ends. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about finances. So what is your partner entitled to? Like say, for example, if you die. If you die, it depends on whether you have a will or not. If you have a will, your assets will be split up in accordance with that will. If you don't have a will, you die what's called intestate and that means your assets are divided up. Okay. So there's a percentage that goes to your spouse and a percentage that goes to your children and you have no real say in the matter because, number one, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And number two, the state says if you don't do a will, that's what has to happen. Have you got a will? No. Oh, I do. Do you? Very annoying process. Yeah, I got one when I had kids. And it felt like a very adult thing to do, actually. You've raised it with me. I probably should get one done. (laughs) How common are prenups? Are they something that people do very often? Do you look after them? We do. They're called binding financial agreements, or BFAs for short. Cute. And, yeah, they apply to prenups, prior to relationships commencing and they apply after relationships end. What they effectively do is contract out of the provisions of the Family Law Act. So when should you be getting someone to sign a prenup? Say, for example, if you had heaps of money, which I don't. Well, I made the point early on about when you cohabitate or you get married, the Family Law Act applies to you irrespective of if you want it to or not. Mm -hmm. It's going to apply to you. If you don't want it to apply to you, then you need to contract out of it by way of a prenup. Okay, you really have to get your head around how the Family Law Act applies, don't you? Well, exactly. Some people might not like the fact that them earning more money, for example, entitles them to less. 
Uh, they might see their income or their job as being something they've worked on themselves and that's out of their own efforts. They might not like the Family Law Act sort of impinging on that and saying, well, you should be getting 40% because you earn a fair bit more. Earning capacity can um, swing a, a property law split one way or another. So if one party earns more, the other party, say, for example, stay at home with the kids, the party staying home with the kids is entitled to a bit of an adjustment in their favour. That makes sense. I love that. It makes a lot of sense, but you might not necessarily agree with it and the other party might not agree with it. And if you didn't like that situation occurring, you could go and say, well, when we split up, we'd like X, Y, Z to happen. And that's why you'd look to a prenup. Oh, it's so uncomfortable to think of that in advance, isn't it? Yes. It's a tough conversation, but I, I think it can only do good having those types of conversations before the relationship starts or early on. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the Family Law Act. Is there a way that I can look up all this fandangled stuff you're telling me about? Look, I I think the Family Law Act would be confusing, but there's a site called Austly, A-U-S-T-L-I-I dot E-D-U dot A-U. You can look up all legislation in Australia. You could simply Google the Family Law Act and download it. But look, I think... A lot of law firms have blogs and stuff and they'll talk about the uh, five-step process or parenting matters and you can just educate yourself that way. So there's plenty of content online if you want to look it up. Okay, cool. What if you're walking into a relationship and you know that your partner has quite a lot of debt? Is that something that you're going to end up, you know, incurring? Like that you just become a part of that debt? So it's sexually transmitted debt. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) That's Probably worse than a disease, frankly. It doesn't go away as quick. Yeah, a hell of a lot more serious, (laughs) maybe. So, look, I think it's a discussion you have to have. Ultimately, as your finances intermingle and time goes on, those debts slowly become your debts or if you refinance and pay them down, I think that's an eyes wide open conversation parties need to have. Oh, man. The point at which people find out about the debt is so interesting. And just like when that gets sprung on them straight after the wedding, on the honeymoon, just so you know, I have about $40,000 in credit card debt. I know. Do you find cases like that a lot? Do those come up? Yeah, look, I I get it quite a lot. I often see it at the end of a, say, 10 to 15-year relationship and they bring up the debt at the beginning and, and my answer is often, well, we can't do much about it now. Yeah, for sure. So when you're meeting with clients who want to get divorced, there must be like themes of things that have come up that have gone wrong in their marriage. Are there things that you would recommend people talk about before they get married to avoid divorce? I think it's important to have honest conversations about roles, about future plans. Don't just run into it headlong. What are we going to do? Are we going to have kids? Are we going to start a business? Am I going to do all the working and are you going to do all the caregiving? These things are important and they're a joint decision and the parties should jointly be agreeing to them. It's never going to go well if one party just deems it to be and dictates how the relationship's going to be structured. So I think have those honest conversations, go in with eyes wide open and if you don't like the answers, then you can leave. Yeah. There's always that option and to just walk away. Don't 
ever feel like you need to be in a relationship that you don't like. That's true. And that's great advice, honestly. It's almost like there needs to be a questionnaire that people need to fill out before they get married. Make sure everyone's on the same page. Exactly. It's very sexy. A nice little, uh, like an app. Yeah. Maybe there's an app idea in that, Veronica. Well, let's talk about divorce because I feel like we keep sort of just dancing around it. When you're pulling the pin on marriage, what conversations do you advise that couples sort of have? I think the key thing is to try and be amicable. And that's, that's hard for a lot of couples because who knows what's happened. They're usually divorced in the first place because they're already in World War Three. And it's hard for people who are in World War Three to suddenly start talking. But I think staying amicable is important. If you can sort your affairs out amongst yourselves in an amicable way, you will save a ton. Because you can not go to court, You don't have to go to court. You don't need to... Well, you might need to involve lawyers to formalise your agreement. We do a lot of work like that. And that, in my view, is the best type of work. There's no fighting. It's just two people who have reached a deal and they want it formalised. Does the reason for a divorce really change how the process plays out? Like a very messy divorce, maybe it's like, you know, someone cheating or whatever. Legally, no. Legally, we are in a no-fault divorce system in Australia. It doesn't matter what happened. It's irrelevant to the court, infidelity or misuse of finances, although that could potentially come into a financial split. The actual reason doesn't matter so much, but ultimately, sometimes the reason does sort of come back in. For example, there can be a parenting dispute and the motives might be vengeful because a party was was unfaithful and the other party might want to punish them. Okay. So how do we start the divorce process from the very beginning? It's important to distinguish between divorce and a property settlement or a parenting matter. All the divorce is is a ending of that legal relationship. One of the most important effects of a divorce is that it starts a limitation date. 12 months once that divorce becomes final is all you have to get your property done. So if you've been divorced, take note of that date, add 12 months, you've got until then to get your property matter sorted and it's two years after the end of a de facto relationship. You don't want that time to run out. Why? What happens? Well, what the court says is you need to ask us permission. You need leave of the court to have your property matter heard. Oh, okay. So don't let the time run out. And I often get clients come in and they've been given a letter. They're on the home run. They could see the finish line. It was in a month's time. They get a letter from a lawyer saying, time's about to run out. Take this deal or we'll file proceedings. Okay, right. Do you need to involve a lawyer from the very beginning? Like, is it absolutely necessary to get a divorce? To get a divorce? No, it's possible to apply for a divorce yourself. But remember, divorce is just the ending of the legal relationship. So it's one type of application. The property dispute and the parenting dispute, you probably will need a lawyer unless you're amicable and you can sort it out yourselves. Okay, okay, okay. So what would happen, for example, if you said, this is it, the relationship is over and your partner just like cleared out your bank account, took a whole heap of stuff. Is that the point where you'd be involving like a family lawyer or are you suing them for something different? No, no, no. That's a a property matter. And if that happened, 
What I would recommend is people get legal advice straight away. I think if someone removes funds or deals with funds in a way that's sort of inappropriate, I think that you've got to go and, and get the court to intervene. So if someone empties a bank account, the sooner you take that to court and get that money recovered, the better. The longer you leave it, the more chance that party has to dissipate that money, spend it on living expenses, which is something that is a, a point of contention often. Okay. Uh, but I think the sooner the better you can get onto that. What have you seen as far as the way a divorce plays out and how petty it can get? Look, regrettably, they are quite petty sometimes. I've seen an example is two parties fighting over Christmas Day changeover, whether it's, say, 11.30 in the morning or midday. There's a half-hour difference. Fighting over, say, a difference of $10,000 in the property split when both of the parties have already spent well in excess of that in legal fees and will spend well in excess of that by multiples if the matter proceeds to, say, a final hearing. Mm, That's silly, isn't it, ultimately? And part of our job as family lawyers is to remind clients of the commercial realities of their matter and to say, hey, you're going to spend a lot more than this. My recommendation is you take this deal and and try to guide them through that process and get them to put aside those emotional drivers. What about fights over pets? I feel like that would be something that plays out. Does it? Sometimes. Pets are considered property in Australia. So I haven't seen them myself, but I've heard of parties doing consent orders where there's like a pet sharing arrangement. Some jurisdictions in America actually require the judge to consider the interests of the pet or something I've heard, but don't quote me. Yeah, sure. But that doesn't happen in Australia. Doesn't happen here. They're just a piece of property with a value. I think if that was important for the parties and they were, it was really getting pushed, the judge may take it into account. But Section 81 of the Family Law Act requires the court to finalise the party's financial relationship. And having Fido go back and forth between the houses isn't considered a finality. So the judge is more likely to just look at factors, who whose name was he registered in, who looked after him the most, and just award Fido to that party. Gosh, you've always got to think ahead for the breakup. I mean, you register the dog in your name. For God's sakes, do it. I know. So during a divorce, how often would like secret spending rear its head? This is what people sometimes don't realise, but as soon as family law proceedings start, i.e. effectively when negotiations begin or when you contemplate starting a family law property split, the duty of disclosure applies to you, which means you've got an obligation to disclose all documents relevant to the matter. So very often, once disclosure takes place, particularly if there's been a period of separation, we see our clients and other parties identifying in those bank statements very curious and suspicious spending. Like what? Like potentially visits to massage parlours. Oh, no way. Or casino or cash withdrawals that are very suspicious um, or transfers to bank accounts that aren't disclosed. So that does Another family. definitely come out. That's what I'm saying. A second family. Mm. I haven't ever seen one. Yeah, haven't you? But you hear about them and they're very interesting. Yeah. See, How do they possibly do it? I know you must have a lot of sad cases, but there must, I mean, I would get into the gossipy bit. I'd be like, mm, definitely, he cheated. He cheated. <laughs> that would be the, the conclusion I always drew. No comment. <laughs> sure. So if I call off the marriage, 
say, for example, because my husband cheated, which he never would do. He's an absolute sweetheart. Don't worry. Does that mean that I would have to cover the legal fees? You both have your own solicitor. So again, remember that no-fault principle. So any party can walk away. There's no requirement to show that there's a one party was at fault or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyone wants to walk away, they can and, and start that process. So do 50-50 splits exist or are these a myth? Uh, they're very common. Oh. Yeah, they're very common. I think in relationships where the parties have structured their lives fairly equally, where they've both pursued careers and earn around about the same money, where they've jointly accumulated some assets and after separation they care for the children on more or less an equal basis, then the outcome is very often a 50-50 deal. Okay. Some people would like a 50-50 deal but they have structured their relationship completely different and, and they might earn... 180 grand a year. The other party doesn't have a job and has no skills because they've been caring for children for 15 years. They'd like to see a 50-50 deal, but unfortunately it's going to be a bit different for them because the court's going to award a greater percentage to the disadvantaged party. To the disadvantaged party because they've got the kids. Because they've got the kids, because you've got... It's those future needs factors, caring for children earning capacity, these are all things the court looks at and the court likes to look going forward, what's going to disadvantage that party? One party's leaving with a great income and a great job, one party's got a, you know, five kids under five with no job. The court's going to award that party a greater share of the property pool. Isn't that good? You know, like, this has been a consistent thing throughout the making of this podcast. I've just thought, how good are the systems in this country? They're very fair for the most part, and the things that I've been investigating. Don't you agree? I I think they're fair. I think most of the time there's a just outcome. And the Family Law Act came about in in, in 1979, you know, off the back of uh, women's liberation, etc. The aim is to give equality and and will provide a level of equality to all the housewives, etc., provide fair outcomes. So how much is it costing you at the very minimum to get like just a divorce as far as the ending a marriage paperwork? The divorce filing fee to end your marriage, not your property settlement or your parenting, Uh is $970. Not as much as I thought, but it's still a lot, isn't it? That's just the filing fee to file the application. Legal fees to file it, a joint divorce might be a ballpark around... Maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks. Okay, mm. and that's just to end your marriage. It, the property settlement is its own kettle of fish. Wow! You can spend maybe a fixed fee package, which is what we do. You might spend say three to four thousand dollars on getting that formalised. But if you were to litigate and remain in court for more than a year, you could spend upwards of a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah. So what are some tips on making the process of getting divorced as smooth and pain-free as possible? Again, be amicable, talk it out, get all your financials together, particularly if you're deciding to leave, like, you know, like a filing cabinet, make some copies of superannuation statements, uh, bank statements and stuff like that. But certainly if you're not amicable, like, yeah, plan ahead with those financial documents, lawyer up fairly early, at least for some advice, not necessarily representation. But 
if you can, if it's safe to do so, sit down, have a chat, at least try to talk it through. But regrettably, it's not always easy for people. Have you ever started to help out a new client who wanted to get divorced, but they ended up just getting back together before you finished the paperwork? It happens. Yeah. It's hard. I can't, actually, I can't say if they worked out or not, but sometimes you, you sort of, you've been well and truly getting into it and you get advice back from, say, the other party's lawyer that they've reconciled and you confirm that with your client and things just end. Yeah. They just peter off. Mm. Make up sex. It's good, you know. Oh. <laughs> Again, no comment. <laughs> I see this blank face. <laughs> well, look, Gunmore, thank you so much um, for chatting to me and helping me with my adult journey. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck and if things don't work out for nah, all of you, give me a call. I'm good. Give me a buzz. I'm good. <laughs> Okay, so I feel like the simplest advice Luke gave was also the hardest to achieve. Have an amicable breakup. Sure, no probs. I mean, if you're listening and you're in the middle of a breakup and about to throw all your partner's possessions on the front lawn and set fire to them one by one, stop yourself. You don't need the paperwork and the headache of a messy damn divorce. Let's be civil. Take all their favourite records that you've already doused in petrol and wiped your ass on and clean them up. For goodness sakes, we're adults. Let's all try to act like them. You know, or at least pretend to try. Coming up next episode, do you have a million dollar idea tucked up your sleeve? If so, well done. But how the hell do you go about protecting it so no one else gets their grubby little hands on it? Our lawyer expert, Nicole, has some ideas. A friend of mine uh, invented something. He was sitting down watching, it was a Microsoft advert as to how they were securing software. And he said, they must be infringing my patent. And they were. That's coming up next episode on Full Blown Adult. Listener.